Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to another edition of the Warrior U Podcast with your hosts, Bram Conley, Reese Dewar, and Coach Louise Benoit. These podcasts seek to provide you with ongoing motivation towards your goals. We will explore topics around nutrition, physical preparation, and motivation, as well as discussing what to expect from life in the military. For more information on today's podcast, be sure to visit the show notes, and don't forget the Mentors for Military podcast, too. Drop in and have a listen. is muscle testing. It's using the biofeedback of the body and the muscle testing to receive information. It started from chiropractics when there was a chiropractor who realized as he was doing adjustments on clients that when he would touch on certain parts of the body he would get a different muscular reaction and as he um, investigated further, realized that it was different acupressure points and meridians in the body and started to understand the correlation between stress in the body, the acupuncture system, and this bio, what I call a biofeedback system. So how did you get involved in that? I yeah, had a referral for it and it was at a time when I had a pain in my neck, a physical pain in my neck, and nothing was getting rid of it. So physio, chiro, massage, yoga, all the usual things. And it was quite persistent. And this referral from months before stayed in my mind. So I made an appointment, went in, had the session. And throughout the session, the woman started asking me all these questions by testing muscles in my body and their reactions. And being the skeptic I was, I was, this is placebo, this is intention, this is suggestion. Um, but then she started to deliver information that she just physically could have had no way of knowing. And at one point she said, oh, do you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulder in relation to male relationships in your life at that time? And was, there was things going on with men in my life at that time and it was a perfect analogy. And as soon as I said yes, I felt an instant release. And then she explained the right side of the body being about the masculine energy and the left being feminine. And from that point on it all made sense as the session continued. So it was one of those, this hurts, I want to feel better, now's a good time to try it. And then it stayed with me for about six months and then six months later I had another reason to go, had another session and that was the starting point. I think about two months later I went to a college information session and studied about two months after that. Yeah, and what was involved in the study? To study kinesiology, what, what do you have to do? Do you go to college, you do... Yeah, so you're doing classes on top of your own job as well, which is quite difficult. But what, what yeah. are you studying? Um, so I was, yeah, you're right. I was working full time, um, so three, four days a week, studying two days a week, and then doing the practice sessions at the college at night, and 
doing practice sessions on friends and family as clients on weekends. So it's quite intensive and quite comprehensive. Um, there's various different colleges and there's various different modalities of kinesiology. So the way I describe kinesiology is that it's a tool and depending which college you go to and what form of kinesiology you study will depend on what what your study is. So it's there's a certificate for which is now part of a diploma. Um, I think generally that's around 18 months to two years depending on where yeah. you study. Then there's an advanced diploma and then you can step into different degrees. It can give you recognition of prior learning for um, various degrees. And so, um, <coughs> so kinesthetics is muscle movement okay. and biofeedback. So the way I describe it to clients in a first session to give them a visual of what's going on is if you imagine a computer yep. and you have a mouse, you have a hard drive, yep. and then you have all the files in the hard drive. So for me, the muscles that I use in the testing process is the mouse. So it's my access point. Right. You, as a body, are the hard drive. Right. And all your experiences, be that memories, emotions, trauma, DNA, neuroplasticity, you know, whatever it happens to be, yeah. is the files. So when I'm using that muscle testing, what I'm saying is we're working on X issue today I want to test against this issue and use your biofeedback to help provide information around that or relieve any stress tension trauma right so can it be considered as part of um, a holistic treatment um, application with regards to things like acupuncture Mm -hmm. as well as yoga yeah absolutely crossfit because I love it Um, (laughs) absolutely so yeah so there is, again, different versions of kinesiology. So you'll have some that are more physical. So from a chiropractic perspective, they're looking at it more from the chiropractics and how they would use it in a structural aspect. Um, in the US and Canada, for example, kinesiology has a lot to do with sports science and sports movement. Yeah, right. So if I talk about it over there, I've always got to explain that it's a different form. They have a full university degree on kinesiology, which is based on sports so that would tie into your crossfit aspect and then you look at what i studied which is a diploma of holistic kinesiology so i had to learn about acupressure points i had to learn about energy systems chakra systems um you know understanding the basics of western issues as well as the eastern principles and things around it so there's a really big spectrum and that's probably one of the things i love about it is each kinesiologist can use their skill set their knowledge and belief system with the muscle testing to, to work with the client. So for me, the way I look at kinesiology and the way I practice is a, there's a mind-body correlation. So for how somebody would use it, it is about releasing stress, releasing trauma. It's about understanding subconscious patternings, those limiting beliefs. It's sometimes un- understanding things that we don't know why we react the way that we do. So that's obviously more an emotional perspective. From a physical perspective, what we would look at is why was that the point of weakness in your body? So if somebody has a traumatic physical injury, that's, you know, that's a little bit different to why is it always my rotator cuff that plays up? Mm. Of all the parts of my body, why my rotator cuff? Mm. And then we would be... It's not necessarily a sporting um, issue, is it? Correct. completely different, although you keep hurting it through a sporting movement. 
Correct. So you're not going to say, and I can give you a perfect example, rotator cuffs of somebody I worked with at one point in time, come in, saw me for a session and was sort of like, it's nine out of ten on a pain level. I'm definitely going to need surgery. I'm going to have to have scans. This is, And this person from memory had been a rower or something that involved a lot of repetitive, repetitive movement. So as I explained to him at the time, if you go and have a scan, the chances are there's going to be inflammation and or tears or scar tissue there because of the nature of what you've physically been doing. But let me just explain what the shoulder's about and let me explain what side of the body it's on and let's have a look at when did the pain flare up and what was happening in your life at that time. And there was family issues, there was separation issues, there was um, feeling this weight that he was carrying in regards to the because the right side being the external side and over six sessions as we spoke about it did the clearing on it and things happened in this person's life as well and I remember clearly coming in one day and he was like that pain's a one out of ten he hadn't had a scan he hadn't had an operation Mm. what had changed was the emotional charge of what had been stored in Mm. that particular point is he going to have flare-ups yeah you go rowing for seven days in a row it's going to flare up However, there was this emotional trauma pattern locked in as well. So that's the way that I see people can use it is that, you know, we store a lot in cellular memory that we can't access with logic memory. And I have this belief system and it's it's validated in a lot of different, you know, beliefs of um, studies these days. releasing things through trauma particularly is the same way that you create an issue will not be the same way you can get out of it but we don't always know how we created it thing that i like about kinesiology and you're right it's energy so i can do a hands-on kinesiology session which has its benefits because touch has its benefits but i could do a skype session and have as much impact by muscle testing using my own muscle testing on myself to get the information for a client one of the things i found particular working with Um, and I would say working with men and because by nature they can be quite physical is that you're able to do the talk aspect of it whilst using the body and that creates a real connection because sitting one-on-one for a lot of people talking is confronting Mm. you know we're not a great communicating society by nature um particularly these days with social media and phones and whatever else, much less sitting down and looking somebody in the eye and saying, hi, this is my stuff. So when you're using the body, it activates different aspects. So you're moving the energy, you're moving the emotions. Um, And it can be, I find, for a lot of people, not just men, but I use that example because I've noticed it and had that feedback from male clients, is it's less confronting. And they come in and I've, you know, I often ask that what's their belief system so that I can work within their belief system. And most of the time they're like, I, I just, what I've been doing doesn't work anymore. Yeah. So whether I believe in this, you know, out there energy, I, I don't really care. I'm just tired of feeling how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think a lot of people are moving more towards energetic work. And I, I tend to not use the word just energetic work because I think people come up with this yeah, perception yeah, yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and to me, there's a lot of energy. Everything I do is energetic. Are people self-manipulating? So, for instance, I've watched... I do it quite a lot as well. Before I go... Before I do a hard CrossFit session, I might get a kettlebell out and <coughs> um, put it on the ground and then mash my calf muscles with this kettlebell. But the thing is, I've done nothing over the last few days that has hurt or made my calf muscles 
you know, strained or stressed, mm. but the release of, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure what's happening, but they're definitely like it's a rolling them out, yep. you know, and, and it's the same as so you I get a hockey ball and I roll the hockey ball under my feet, yep. let alone on, you know, I mean, it do, obviously when I'm doing things like, you know, sitting on it with the ass cheeks and you're rolling around on it, that that, that has something to do with self-manipulation and mm. um, freeing up that, those different nerves things like that but there's more to it than that isn't there there's an energy release as well well you go back to your yoga Mm -hmm. so each of those yogic poses works into a meridian system under the Chinese medicine and that was probably the thing that really connected for me when I studied kinesiology was TCM or traditional Chinese medicine just made sense Mm -hmm. and there's no reason it should have because I'd never learnt it before But when I looked at Western and looked at Eastern and looked at the meridians and where they were and what they meant and what the psychology was, what the physiology was, what the physical aspect was, it all just made sense and it still does. So when you're talking about, for example, rolling... Well, uh, modern medicine's ball. had 150, 100, 100 years. TCM's three, 4,000, I three, think. 4, I don't years. quote me on we, that, we but around that. Years get that sort of stuff don't we the fact that the Chinese you know were using these um, they were using this type of medicine and also they were using um, these points of discussion you know for thousands of years whereas we're really you know we've been using pharmaceutical drugs to try and solve the same stuff and I think that's the thing that as a holistic kinesiologist there's a time and a place for all of it you know, it's there's a lot of segregation of it's all natural or it's all pharmaceutical. And the reality is, for some people, there's a middle ground that they need to be in. Somebody who's depressed, for example, may be at a point where, for them, they do not have the coping skills at this point in time to take the natural option. So they do need the pharmaceutical under the right guidance for a period of time to get to a state to have the willpower and the resilience to then look at the other options. So kinesiology could be used to treat um, depression? Absolutely. I would say of my client base, probably 90% of my clients would have anxiety of some form. They have some form of of depression. Yeah, more the anxiety I find, but yeah, of the ones that have anxiety, that can, I would say half of them would have depressive moments and all have had moments of depression. Um, you know, I mean, you already know my, and most people listening to this will know my position on PTSD. Yeah. Um, and the fact that I think that, you know, 90% of it's bullshit um, and that the 10% that isn't is really traumatic. Exactly. And yeah. we're not going to solve um, through a podcast, but... There might be people listening to this that have a form of PTSD from things that they've had in their childhood. Because obviously I'm talking about combat PTSD that, that people keep going on with in Australia. That, you know, this whole veteran victim mentality thing that I can't stand. But um, with regards to, you know, people listening to this who may have um, post-traumatic stress disorder from, you know, things that have happened to them in their childhood or maybe a car accident or seeing yeah. something that's, you know... Rather than, rather than you know, sleep uh, scared about that, or or worry about you know, or have those anxiety worries from it, they could they could see a kinesiologist and talk to someone, absolutely, and, and have and have pretty good effect from it. I think. 
Without a doubt. Yeah. I John Hawaii is doing actually stuff. I need to talk, I need to give you the with details. details yeah. You, the guy is he's using he's he, he's calling something else, but it's kinesiology. Yeah, and it, it's being they you do site K in the US, which um in Canada I'm sure it's from the US as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's the thing with trauma is at that moment that trauma happens, yeah. we lock it in. We lock it into our body. We lock it into our memory. We lock it into our soul. We Does lock it in. Lock it in. All of us lock it in. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Some of us are just better at processing it. Yeah. Some of us, we kind of laugh about this. I was talking about this with um, my coach. I think it was recently. Is as a parent, you're a parent. Yeah. We make, you know, parents make comments, yeah. and they're comments that you would not even think about again. Kids That's the comment the child locked away. Yeah. And that child and I know from my own work of you know doing if you want to call it inner child work or child work where you go back and go where did that pattern come oh, from yeah, no, I've done the same thing. Yeah. and <laughs> the stuff that the parents think was going to you know be the psychological downfall of their yeah, children yeah. the child never took on board no, no. but that one comment of um you know somebody making a spectacle of themselves in front of the family and like stop doing that don't do that again you don't want to be seen by everybody as x that child then sets up a pattern forever of right. I can't be seen because yeah. if I'm seen, I'm going to be the parent yeah. is dealing with what happened at that very microsecond while the six-year-old child's having a moment. Yeah. That child has now just set up a pattern of why is it in my career that I can never really take that next step to be seen? Yeah. So that's where we lock things in and then we start creating stories and patterns. So through kinesiology, we're able to access this information that's in there because once it's in there, it's in there. You can, and I've been really working on this with clients lately, there's this whole thing about just let it go. And I've said it many, many times, guilty, practitioner and as a friend, and I'm like, you know what, if we could just bloody let it go, we would. So great to tell you to a client, just let it go. But if they could let it go, unless it's serving them, they would. So, what if you didn't let it go? It let it go right? Sometimes I I used to believe that you had to go back through everything. I'm becoming less and less inclined to believe that. I the more I'm seeing it as I work with clients, um, the way I work is I do a first intake and I get a pretty comprehensive, give it to me all, whatever comes up, because we're living in the present moment and. We want to go to where we want to get to forward. And whatever needs to be unraveled from the past absolutely does. But that doesn't mean that we need to go over it and over and over and over it. And this is where I think the different modalities sometimes compete as opposed to work together. So for me, my background's in psych. So I. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's the strength. And I was going to ask you about yeah. that because there'd be kinesiologists that don't have a psych, um, no. psychology background. Correct. But you do. And there's, and I think that probably stands you in better stead because a lot of what kinesiologists are trying to solve through kinesiology is in some parts psychology. Correct. And you need to be able to, my skill set is I need to be able to hold the space to counsel. I need to be able to hold the space energetically. I can't be dumping my energy on you. And if you're dumping your energy out, I can't be taking it on. I need to be dealing with holding that for you to process whatever's coming up without expectation from me and then I need to be able to coach you to how do we actually do something productive on this and everybody works differently so I can only talk about what I've learnt to work but the psych background for me 
Um, and that's the nature of the client. So I tend to work less with structural clients, but most of my structural clients or structural issues in clients have a psychological background, right. something that has happened. Yeah. The psych definitely so plays a huge part. Totally. And I've had a couple of clients who see psychologists as well. I have a couple of clients who part of their commitment to work with me is that I have an agreement with them that they have to see a psych. And that's the thing as a practitioner, kinesiologist, I need to know my boundaries. What can I support and help you with? And what do you need additional support with? Because sometimes it takes a tribe. And the thing with PTSD and trauma, to your point before, is that is a subjective experience. And... What is traumatic to one person is not traumatic to another. So you could both be in the same situation and not to take out your point about, you know, maybe people jumping onto a victim mentality of it or a labelling of it, that's completely different. But you and I sitting in the same room, we see the same traumatic event. I may have had experiences that have led me up to be able to deal with that. So to me, the trauma level is a lot less. But to somebody that's never seen that, that trauma level is huge. And how we both process it, it's going to come down to it. So what I lock in would be different to what you lock in. Like in a war environment, you know, in the field, whatever it happens to be, you're trained for situational Mm. as well. Mm. So So that same person that could have had all that training for a military background Mm. could pull up behind that car crash, go into autopilot because they're trained to respond Mm. and fall apart three weeks later. Yeah. And why did they fall apart for that? But they served for 10 years without any things because that was the trigger of release. So that 10 years and, you know, you know my background with military yeah, as well. <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't happen for everybody, but that can be. And that's what I think my experience with military, and you know I've, you know, been around this for a while and I, you know, I get it on a personal level is... I think the thing that a lot of people really don't understand is why did that when I come home mm. really set me off and now I can't release all these other things that happened when I was in combat or in service or whatever. Mm. I don't get it. I don't understand how that little, you know, argument with my partner or that car accident that I saw or that whatever, mm. why is and I call it like Pandora's box. And the way I describe it to clients is when you have an experience, you're your memory system, your cellular system, mm. goes for the closest thing that it has experienced similar before mm. to find out how it's supposed to react. Mm. Because I've, I have an experience of this, so I know that when X happens, I'm supposed to do Y. Right. That's why we train people to do things so that they know how to respond. Yeah. So X situation, trauma happens at home. I go to Y response, which is, as a soldier, let's use that as an example, to go into combat, to fight you know to whatever you know fight or flight correct so they can handle it in that particular moment but then as time goes on and the cortisol drops and the adrenals settle down and life comes back to normal inverted commas normal is not normal anymore and the system is going oh hang on i'm trying to find ways to deal with these situations because i had pandora's box and in the box was all these learned experiences of how to do it, mm. but it was how to do it in certain environments. Mm. And now I'm trying to do it in an environment that I don't have the control that I did. Right. So that opens up a whole gamut of things. Again, going back to my psych background, I'm a very strong advocate of 
if, if you want a diagnosis, you need to be with a psychiatrist or a really good psychologist because they're trained to diagnose based on a DSM-5, I think it is now, manual of what is PTSD. And it's not just you've had this experience and for the next 6 to 12 months you process and then it's clear and life goes on. Well, during that time, it is a post-traumatic stress issue, but it's also also okay to process. And this is this is where I think people in society today, and it's something I really get quite passionate about, is there's this almost instant need to get over everything. Yeah. Grief. Yeah. Oh, they're grieving too long. I'm sorry. I, you know, they did change that. My understanding is they changed that in the DSM-5 when it come out of if you've been grieving something like four or eight weeks, I was listening on Triple J once, Mm -hmm. that is deemed uh, mental health under the DSM-5. And I'm like, you've just lost your life partner and after eight weeks you should be over the depression or the sadness or the whatever. I'm sorry, that's a fairly major life experience to lose somebody. So who puts a time frame on that? Well, there's different ways to code that because you can be in grief and still functioning for a long period of time because you've lost something or someone but if you're in grief or you're in a post-traumatic stress and you can't get up and you can't function and you can't leave the house or you're almost catatonic some days that's a very different post-traumatic stress reaction to somebody who is I've had a traumatic stress and I'm getting up each day and it or I'm dreaming about it but I'm still functioning and One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's a, a risk in that of people shutting that down. Yeah. And that's where a lot of people self medicate. They drink, they drug, yeah. they, you know, insomnia starts because they don't want to sleep. Yeah because of the fear of um, what's going to come up. So then you end up with insomnia. So then the insomnia starts, which creates a whole other issue. And this is quite often when people get caught in the pharmacological loop because I went for the lack of sleep because, as we all know, they don't use lack of sleep as a torture method for no reason. There's a reason it is, as you would know much more than I do. (laughs) Exactly. So... But it, it almost is a torture method to the person that's going through it. I don't want to go to sleep because I don't want to have this dream because it's traumatic. But if I don't keep sleeping, then I escalate a whole other issue. So I go to the doctor, I get something to sleep, but now I'm getting something to sleep. But that's creating a byproduct of another one, which is that I'm now shutting down my feelings to what I was actually naturally processing. Um, and the thing with it is that there, whether it's kinesiology that you use or whether it is yoga, I mean, there's... I said to people, I never thought I'd get paid to teach people to breathe. Mm. It sounds ridiculous. But I literally, some sessions, will be holding an acupressure point and teaching a client to breathe because they'll shallow breathe. One of my mates is a CrossFit coach. Um, Shout out to Adrian if he's listening. And um, he is sick for the breathing at the right time, at the right place during a workout. And it's... Diaphragmatic breathing, belly breathing, lungs. I podcast about breathing, which I'm actually thinking about doing. I just need to try and find enough questions. But um, no, 100% get it, yeah. It is. So, you know, 
we lock away feelings, we lock away energy, we lock away everything that we experience to some degree. Mm. And some of us process it better because we've learnt it. Some of us are naturally that way inclined because of nature, nurture, resilience, whatever it is. is failing something twice and then the third time you're resilient. Potentially. That's that's what we use in special forces with regards to, um, you know, with with regards to people on the selection courses. If If you can knock them back knock the wind out of their sails a couple of times, the third time they'll bounce back and they'll be... If they bounce back the third time, then they're resilient. And it's the same with... Can get through. The same with relationships. Uh, the same with all sorts of things, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I always look at... I work with energy and I work with emotions a lot. Mm. Whether it's physical, emotion, reaction yeah. to a physical, emotional... Because being emotional psych. is not... Um, you, can, you can be a warrior and be emotional. Absolutely. I think that's the best warriors I know can control their emotions not just control it and for me it's not about controlling it have emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. they understand that to feel joy Mm -hmm. you need to feel sadness Mm -hmm. to feel elation Mm -hmm. you need to feel despair to feel and this is depending on belief systems you know there's some meditations that are like well this shouldn't be duality it should all be one and I'm like we're humans depending on your belief system we're spirits souls whatever having yeah. a human experience and we feel joy and we feel sadness we I, feel whatever I once heard that the opposite of sadness is not happiness because you can cry with both absolutely so the opposite to um, sadness is um, being able to uh, yeah what was it it was boredom yeah it was something like that the it's also boredom or something yeah. well they've also done um yeah, brain scans and testing physical testing where if you put somebody who says i'm anxious Mm -hmm. in a state and somebody who says i'm excited neurologically it elicits the same response so so what story do you put on it that adrenaline that rush feeling that oh so perfect combat situation Mm -hmm. two people in the same situation one of them gets a real adrenal rush the i would have no idea and i don't want it so the excitement (laughs) But somebody else in that exact same situation yeah. could be in a full state of anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. On your brain scans, they are showing lit up, same area. You don't and know the difference. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, um, Kevin Finnegan. So we, we interviewed him on a podcast. He's a US um, Green Beret. He's a good friend of mine. And we both have this same experience where, and I'm sure a lot of Special Forces guys do too, where just before uh, the shooting starts so you know that you're going towards a battle because everything gets really quiet and the women and children might be fleeing the village and you're watching them leave and you know there's enemy out there and you can hear the radio chatter and when that first round goes off we haven't fired it when the enemy's fired there's this unbelievable sense of relief like this feeling of it's almost I don't want to I don't want to sexualize it because it's not it's a different it's like just this amazing weight that goes off your shoulders because you're now no longer about to be in combat you're in it you're in it and so you're no longer scared you're excited and it's just you're out of anticipation problem, which leads the to excitement for me was became a little bit of a drug I think and where it's I just totally a drug. Really, like sometimes Sometimes we would leave, we would get out of contact with the enemy, and then, 
and then I would try and find ways to get my platoon back in contact with the enemy because I wanted to feel that again and it's a little it can be a little bit if I look at that that can be a um, can be um, you know a, a bad thing for a leader to do because you're putting people in harm's way a little bit as well I guess if I'm but um, take that when people get out. So this is something I talk oh, yeah, about yeah. from my experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd love to feel that again, but I don't. I mean, I don't want to go down the main street, you know, of you know Liverpool trying to, find, trying to find that feeling because that's ridiculous. But well, you look at a lot of the the issues, if you want to call it that, when people come home, mm. marriage breakdowns, affairs, risk taking behaviour, mm. whatever it happens to be, is they're addicted to the high. You know, it takes a certain personality type to go to combat to start with. And I've always said this, particularly with psych background. If you took a whole lot of people, thousand people, and put them in a room and put them all in the same experience, there's only going to be a select few that are going to have the natural attributes, so to speak, if you want to call it that, or the trained attributes to go into that. But when those people come home, you get addicted to the adrenaline and whether this is a military situation, whether this is stockbroking, you know, yeah. being on the floor, that constant, what's next, what's next? So when they come home and they're trying to adapt back into society and into their family units in yeah. particular, here's your baseline. So let's say it's kind of middle ground, but you guys are running at, make up a figure, 50% higher than that, just on your average day. Even when you're in camp, you're still higher than what you would be at home. Then you go out into combat and you're up again. So your whole body is being flooded with these hormones that are bringing you a reward. And this is where it comes from. When you go out and you're in combat and you're getting the adrenaline and you're getting the cortisol and you're getting every other hormone that comes with it and you're being rewarded, so your reward center in your brain is lighting up going, this is exciting, this is great, this is, oh, my God, we should be doing more of this. We feel great when I'm doing it. Hence, you become addicted to it. So, so then you come home. How do we stop? And you try and do that. Special forces guys seeking seeking uh, that instant gratification that you can get from all sorts of strange things when they come home. Because I'm assuming that's what you're alluding to. Yeah. So perhaps they're, they're chasing that high. And they're going to because it's more addictive. To things like cocaine and more susceptible to things like uh, risky. Um, behaviours, driving fast, you know, um, motorbikes, trucks, yeah. whatever it is. Well, not more than, I mean... The, pushing any, the any limit kid, beyond... Any, any kid in their 20s yeah. is doing that, I understand. Totally. But, but they're but, pushing it beyond what would have been seen right. as a reasonable level because the yes. need to get high, the need to feel the rush so the is infantry, further. The infantry commanders need to probably understand that that's... Uh, it's an integration process. And it's one of the things I personally have always, totally, it's one of the things that I have personally always said is if you send them away, and I totally support the forces, as you know, all of them, Mm -hmm. you're also responsible for when they come back. Personalities are always going to be that way. They were probably the risk taker when they were 10. Yeah. You're, oh, not, you're not going to change that. They wouldn't, wouldn't be doing the job they're doing yeah, if they, they weren't. weren't. So it's not that you want to change somebody's personality, but how do you help them integrate and understand or, what's or happening? understand why they're doing it. Exactly. And that's, you know, my premise when I work with a client is three things. I want them to be acknowledged. So by me being in that space, but I want them to acknowledge what's going on, what changes, what happens throughout our sessions. I want them to be empowered. 
and empowerment comes through knowledge. When they can understand what's happening, why it's happening, what the connections are, and my role is to be their facilitator, their messenger, I'm not there to fix people. That's not my role. My role is to be part of this journey and to facilitate the information, however that comes through, so that they can become empowered and acknowledged. And to me, that implies to anything. So when somebody comes back, and I use this analogy again, so to go and do the job that you guys do, which at times can involve things that me as an average civilian, I can't imagine killing somebody in a combat situation. I I don't have that. I can visualise it, but I can't imagine doing it. (laughs) Not going there, but if that's good for you. So... There's a level of disconnection that has to occur to do that. But it's like a muscle. The more you do the job, the more you've got to disconnect to do the job. So when I come home and wife, kids, whatever, you know, being wife, kids, whatever, I'm being very stereotypical here, and that seems like a stressful situation and person that's just been deployed comes home and they say oh you're completely disconnected you're not taking any part in this that person doesn't know how to because they've just spent three months six months 12 months being disconnected and I you know I've been through that experience myself I went through two deployments um, so I know what it's like to be the partner on the other side and they can tell you all these things to do when the partner comes home and give them space and it's going to be this and it's going to be that and it's something I'm passionate about because there's two sides to this it's not just the side when you're away it is when you come home and the impact on the society as a whole around it so for me using kinesiology is a way of helping get back into connection with body with actual physical body energy and feeling something again that doesn't always have to be the highs but allows them to connect in so for me yeah. that's an area that i really see currently is a gap so i think the integration process back is the gap right so now about- if somebody let's say maybe has a limiting belief around their ability to pass the exam to get into whatever unit they're applying for because of something someone said or something that's always happened or some person said, you know, you're never going to be able to do that and they are adamant they want to do it and they know in their heart they can do it but there's still that little, like, devil on the shoulder going, dude, I don't think, or lady or whoever, can you really do it? Like, why are you doing this? So kinesiology in that can absolutely deal with what's the limiting belief and release that so that that person has and more freedom around that. to you for that session, mm-hmm. what, what's involved? It's going to depend on the session and the client, to be honest. Um, so the way I work, and this would, again, be different to everybody, I always focus on what my client's issue and or objective is that session. Mm-hmm. So if they come in and say, I'm going to go and do this you know test for special forces and i know i can do it physically i'm hitting the targets i know i can do this job i know i've got the mental resilience but i always failed when i got to like the starting point of x exam at school and i feel like i'm going to freeze at that point yeah so that's their that's their fear response is freeze so we could work through actually looking at where did that come from, releasing the energy, and what would that release look like? Well, that's going to depend on what their muscle testing comes up. So it could be acupressure points. There could be particular emotions that come up that we try and connect the dots together. There could be, um, on a more energetic level, essences and oils and things. If somebody, I tend to work 
within somebody's belief system um, and ask them to be open to things that maybe they wouldn't have before. But, hey, you turned up here. So if you turned up here, you turned up for a reason. Right. So Hopefully because this podcast told me <laughs> Exactly. Contact me. And that's the same whether I'm doing that online or whether I'm doing it in person. Right. So the session is very much run by them. It's run by what comes out of the muscle testing, what their intentions are. Um, we can do particular acupressure points. So perfect example. Have you ever, when you've done an exam or something, found yourself leaning forward with your hand and on your forehead? So you have these two acupressure points on your forehead called emotional stress release points, ESRs. So when, and front brain is logic brain. Back brain is our survival state, our lizard brain. So when we're in the exam and we're trying to remember something and come back to a place of logic, what do we do? We lean forward. So for me, when I have a client, let's say again the example of they're doing their um, testing for whatever they're joining and we want to take the stress out of the way they think it could go, it may be as simple as holding their ESR points and getting them to play that movie out. So let's pretend there's a movie screen in front of you. Worst case scenario, I want you to picture that worst case scenario. And we talk through it and they tell me how bad it is and what's happened and I'm holding the acupressure points at the time, which is changing the energy around the experience. They're also verbalising it, which changes the energy around the experience. Now we go back and we lock in a new way of doing it, which is the perfect scenario, which is coming back to your positive psychology. So there's studies of... um, Visualisation. Yeah, and I can't think... There's a particular Olympic runner, and the name's left me now, but used to visualise the run, like the nine seconds or eight seconds, it was a sprinter how it would feel to move the foot what that first thing would sound like what the what the explosion would be down to the micro level so when they did it every cell in their body knew what it had to do at every nanosecond of those nine seconds i saw a a video a while ago the um, founder of seal fit who's a little bit of a hero of mine i guess he um was talking about college swimming and he Mm. used to swim 200 meters yep and back then, so this must have been, he must have been in the 80s, late 80s in college. So it's not, because he's not much older than me, I assume. And, um, Spring chicken that yeah, you are. Yeah, right. And so he was, um, he, his coach was into visualisation. Mm-hmm. And his coach used to tell him, before you go to bed at night, visualise the 200 metre swim. And he yep. could visualise it. I do visualisations in most sessions. Yeah, and I think it's pretty. I or coaching pretty cool. with it. Well, and it's something that you just said that, is really interesting is that you do it before you go to sleep at night so you're actually taking that into your subconscious and there's starting to be one of the things i'm excited about right now with kinesiology or energy holistic I'm work a massive believer in sleep by the way huge <laughs> huge believer in sleep, like, sleep <laughs> so not just the sleep but you are taking that's the last thing you take to your subconscious mm. so you're taking that pattern that desire that Intention, if you want to get into the more energetics of law of attraction, etc., and that's what's going to go into your subconscious and unconscious because it's the last thing, and that's what's without you even knowing it, you are actually seeking ways to achieve that Mm. in your sleep. Yeah, and that's and science is starting to prove these kind of things. Totally, visualization, you know, can save. Goes back to the caveman. Yeah, you can you know, those images on the wall in the caves, 
were them showing how they were going to kill the beast. Mm. Here we are, here's the family, here's the image, here's the beast. They were already and doing law of attraction and planning by, it out. By passing things down through folklore, Correct. you're really creating uh, visualisation statements for the kids, which are then... Everything then, we then say and do. they find themselves facing that demon, that fear, that animal. Yep. And, and they've got a spear and they, and they know... They know how to how to kill the animal because they visualised it and have carried out those actions through folklore. Yeah, I mean it's well prophesied. Yep, and it becomes a psychological right. battle as opposed to a physical run. Right, and for him, kinesiology is something where okay, first of all, you've got to deal with this issue and let it go. Yeah, so let's go. What's happened has happened, and it goes back to what I said before, and it, it, it's so ironic because I say it and have said it so often. Just let it go. Yeah. Well, if we could bloody let it go, we would. So what if we, instead of just letting it go, what if we could find a way to let it move on? Yeah. yeah. Slight, subtle shift, or big learn, addition. Or go, okay, so I failed this three times, <coughs> and the reason I failed it three times is because, you know, I did this wrong, I did that wrong. Yep, I so learn it from go. it. I can't just let it go. But, but I can move on from it by taking the knowledge and the learning, empowering myself yeah. to do it differently. Yeah, and oh, by the way, if I had a passed it for, you know, if I had a passed that three years ago, You don't know. Either. Well, I guess it goes back to I mean, belief systems. Right, Mine yeah. is everything happens for a reason. For a reason. And for I, I kind of actually don't like saying that because I think at times that's the worst thing you can possibly say mm-hmm. to somebody, mm-hmm. even though it's my fundamental oh, belief system. At the same time, though, it's getting somebody to understand in that moment what is the control. reason. Control equals safety. In Chinese med, that was one of my biggest learnings is so the water, kidneys, bladder is about fear. Kidneys in particular is about fear. And fear equals control. Fear is anxiety. What do most people that are anxious want? Control, safety. So if I have lots of knowledge, which is, again, a very water element thing, and I'm a watery element person, so this is why it really resonated for me of... And I wouldn't have said I was an anxious person, but I was an overthinker. And my go-to when I am in a stressful point mm. is the first thing that will go, and I'm a great sleeper, the first thing that will go is my sleep and my mind will be going 100 miles an hour because it's seeking knowledge so that I can create a control environment yeah. to keep myself safe from whatever the solution is. Of course, you're, you're, there's so many other reasons why your sleep can go. I mean, if you, oh, if you God, listen there's to a myriad of them. Podcasts, um, Drink water. That will you change know, he it. He talks about, you know, I mean, he's he's on one end of the extreme where he now has a house built with no electricity running through it, and he has probably has an airfoil up in the windows, and the EMFs and everything. Yeah, as well. and yeah. I mean, he uses a salt lamp, which you know, I'm, I've hey, I'm a, I our whole house is salt lamp. Yeah, look, I believe in it. I don't, I don't really understand it, but I know that it's yeah. changes know, the ions in the air. Who use it. Well, that's one that is scientifically yeah. proven. It changes the ions to the um, negative ions, and which the other helps sleep. Are, um, the blue light, the blue light. Yeah, the blue blockers. Yeah, I mean, which that one makes sense because you need sense. melatonin to sleep. Right. So that's when we're all looking at our phones with their big blaring screens, your body's tricked into thinking. Our body's going, it's daylight, it's daylight, it's daylight, it's daylight, and then we wonder why it takes us two hours to not off. Well, because our body yeah. needed that two hours yeah. shut down. So that's one of the first things oh, I work with cool clients about, is um, sleep patterns, sleep hygiene. Such a cool with that as well. Right. So there's the meridian system, okay. and one to three, three to five, five to seven. So it goes round, and 
one to three is liver time, three to five is lung time. So it's um, large intestine and whatever. So actually looking at that as well looks at what your body's supposed to do at different points of the day and when your best time for digesting is when you're at best time. So, um, so let's say one to three being liver time. So I've always had this. If I go out and I've had, you know, a couple of drinks, whatever the alcohol is, it didn't really matter. I could go home, go to bed for maybe an hour, and then I'm wide awake, totally awake if it's between one and three. It used to, didn't matter what it was I drank or whatever, particularly when I was younger. Um, and now what I know is that the liver organ itself between one and three it's when it's most active so that's when it's doing most of its work and between one and three if you've got toxins or whatever in your body that require cleansing then your body's going to wake you up but the interesting aspect of that and this ties into when you're talking about sleep and um you know maybe depression or dreams or whatever is that there's also psychology that goes with each of these meridians so at liver time we'd be looking at what is the psychology from a eastern perspective as well so Mm -hmm. liver is rage for example so people that wake up really hot or really agitated at that time of night um and all of this can impact Mm -hmm. sleep so Take out the physical things, which is usually what I look at straight away. How much coffee do you drink? How much tea do you drink? How much water are you drinking? Oh, what are you I eating? Well, we've had this conversation about your water intake does not equate to coffees. Oh, um, oh, okay. So, <laughs> but for somebody that's doing that, then once we take the physical out and we look at sleep hygiene and what time they're going to bed and darkness and all the rest of it, if you're still waking up at a particular point in time, let's look at what you're subconsciously processing at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So this is where that whole holistic aspect comes in. Mm -hmm. And there's different practitioners that focus more on physical, focus more on mental, focus more on nutritional. That's brilliant. Um, But it's getting the right information as well to process for sleep, for example, because we live in a sleep-deprived society, Mm -hmm. um, which, again, adds to anxiety, depression, You know, insomnia, etc. So, um, where can all of my awesome people here who are on a journey mm-hmm. to join the Defence Force, um, if they want to get in touch with you from a kinesiology perspective, yeah. um, where can they get in touch with you and, and have a session or talk about a session or something like that? Yep, so they can find me on my email, um, which is stacy at infinitebalance.com.au or website is infinitebalance.com.au and Facebook, Instagram, same thing for Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.